Father in heaven, as we gather as your people, we pray you'll come and teach us. Holy Spirit, take your word and speak today. Lord Jesus, may we share in your delight as you lead and guide us as we open your word. Father, Son, and Spirit, awaken our hearts, illumine our minds, magnify the glory and beauty of the Son. Change our lives for your glory and our joy. Amen. On June 2nd, 1953, at the tender age of 25, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary was crowned Elizabeth II, uh, Queen of United Kingdom. At one of the highest moments of the ceremony, the moderator of the Church of Scotland handed her a Bible and said these words, This book is the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Now, the words selected here in this moment reflected the words of the King James Bible translators in 1611. God's sacred word is the inestim inestimable treasure that excelleth all the riches of the earth. What do you think when you hear that? The most valuable thing that this world affords. The inestimable treasure that excels all the riches of the earth. Is that how you would describe your Bible? This book that we so readily toss into the backseat of our cars, whose cover is beginning to peel and crumble, whose pages have been accidentally dog-eared because we've squeezed them into our handbags, or whose pages remain ever fresh and crisp, even after years of ownership, because we haven't read it that much. Most valuable? The inestimable treasure? And perhaps are we in danger of treating the message of the Bible in the same way that we treat our physical Bibles? Would our friends and our children or our parents see that we prize this book and its message more highly than our grades, more highly or more, of more value than a healthy bank balance, of greater worth than any of the riches that this world affords us? Well, then you've got to take a half step back and then ask a bigger question, though. What is it about the Bible that makes it the greatest treasure? What makes it of supreme value? Our passage today deals with that. For Paul, there's enormous reasons why the Bible is that valuable and that worthy of our focused attention. In what was probably his final letter written just before his execution, Paul's final words turns the attention, to, uh, of, the attention of a young pastor named, named Timothy towards the most important thing that will guide him in life and in ministry. Verse 14 of our passage begins, as for you. Right, Paul here has just warned in the previous verses that Timothy, that God, living a godly life is hard. Persecution is to be expected. And as if that is not hard enough, on top of this, there is the ever-present threat of false teachers who will come in to deceive the church. Now, into this chaos, Paul shines a light. Timothy Despite this bad news, I want you to continue on, to keep trusting what you originally learned and firmly believed. Notice there in verse 14 that Paul is calling Timothy back to something old and not something new. He's not telling Timothy to find some new improved leadership techniques or to head to the latest ministry conference to upskill himself. He says, go back to that original message 
you heard and believed. Go back to the gospel. Hold on to it firmly. Keep a tight grip on the gospel you originally heard. In the face of the pressure from a non-believing world and pressure from false teachers, what will keep him steady is the rock-solid gospel message he heard and believed from long ago. Don't move on from it, Timothy. Go back and hold on. Remember who you learned it from. Paul had previously mentioned the faithfulness of Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, two faithful, godly women who lived out gospel-centered lives and passed on big gospel truths to their young boy. Paul says, remember those godly women in your life. Remember how they lived out what they believed. That was real and their testimony is true. As an aside, for the parents here uh, and for the hopeful parents here, I hope this is an encouragement uh, that your work of reading to your children and leading your teens in knowing and trusting the Bible can and does lead to great fruit. So keep persevering, even if you feel like your kids aren't paying attention. And kids, Evan, hi, hello, Evan, hi. When mummy and daddy are sitting down to read the Bible to you, pay attention because what they're sharing, showing you is really good. Okay, you can go back to reading that. Uh, back to it. Timothy was taught the gospel from his grandmother and mother, and he was taught well. Paul says that he was acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, the word acquainted is quite a bit of an older word, and it's sort of related to the word acquaintance. But an acquaintance is someone that you don't know very well. You know very little about them. Like all those people in high school you've reconnected with on Facebook after 10 years. And you go, oh, hi, what are you up to these days? Or someone you met at a conference or work event. An acquaintance is unfamiliar. But to be acquainted is the opposite. It's to be familiar. What was Timothy familiar with? He was familiar with the sacred writings, the scriptures. Here, most likely a reference to the Old Testament. His mother... And his grandmother patiently read the Old Testament with him and showed him how it all pointed to Jesus. And that gospel message was enough for Timothy to believe and to trust with his whole life. Now Paul Paul now tells Timothy, those two faithful women in your life, they faithfully showed you the good news in the scriptures. You believed it, so keep holding on to it. In the face of persecution, in the face of false teaching, keep holding on to that gospel message. And here, here is why Timothy should hold on and keep believing. Because the scriptures are thoroughly and utterly unique. In verse 16, Paul says that all scripture is literally God-breathed. As an exercise for a moment here, uh, put your hand over your mouth and try to say your name without breath coming out. And you can't do it. In order to speak, you must breathe. So for, God, for, for Paul to say that Scripture is God-breathed, it is another way of saying that it is God-speak. It is God-spoken. And because Scripture comes from God and has divine origin, it has divine authority. It comes from God, and because it comes from God, it is of infinite and supreme value. The sacred writings in verse 15 that Timothy learned uh, referred to the Old Testament, but here in verse 16, all scripture is appropriately, has been appropriately applied by the church to the entire Bible. 
Peter considers Paul's words as authoritative and on the same level as the Old Testament. The epistles quote the Gospels often. The New Testament quotes itself affirmatively. So it's good and right to see all Scripture here as referring to the whole Bible as we have it today. Hey guys, the Bible, which has been written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors across a very large span of space uh, and area in the Middle East and in various languages. So when Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed, he's saying something really important about the quality of the Bible. He's not saying that those 40-plus authors sat down uh, in their quiet offices, pen in hand, sitting, or quill, whatever it was, sitting with their papyrus, waiting for God to whisper to them what to, what to write down. But he is saying that in a special union of God and men, the Holy Spirit worked through their personalities, their different writing styles, and their different voices to write down God's very words. When you read the Bible, you are reading what God intended to communicate to you. You have a God, we have a God, who wants to be known. And he communicates to us through a written word. Now this is really important for us to remember, that you cannot separate the word of God from God himself. I'm not saying that this printed book is God, as though we need to bow down before this, right? That's uh, the, uh, this thing that's beginning to fall apart. But what Paul is saying here is that you must not separate God from his word. See, if you want to know who I am, you need to listen to my words. It would, who I am and what I say are inseparable. So it would make no sense to say, yes, I know Pastor Steve really well, but I don't listen to anything he says. In the same way that it would be stupid to say, yes, I know God, but I don't really pay attention to his word. Now, here's a good point to pause and quickly say, if you want to read God's word, it's a good idea to get a very good translation. And praise God that we live in a day and age when there, where there are heaps of good translations out there. We thank God for the word-for-word, literal word-for-word translations and the readable thought-for-thought translations and thank God for paraphrased translations that help our children and those with reading difficulties to understand God's mind. But there are bad translations out there. I'm going to name one, name and shame one in particular because I'm surprised at how popular it is and that's the Passion Translation. It's a fairly recent one but it is very popular, increasingly popular. If you read this translation, it will unhelpfully skew your understanding of God. If you want to know more why, please come and speak to me afterwards, but avoid that translation. Here at Esley Church, we use the ESV. Amongst, among, uh, we like it, we promote it, uh, and it is a good translation among many good translations. But back to it. Because the Bible is God-breathed, because it is God himself speaking to us through the Bible, then it is, good. it is good for us. It is good and useful precisely because it is God's word. See, verse 16, you could loosely translate that verse as saying, all scripture is God-breathed and therefore is good for you. You notice in the middle of verse 16 that scripture is described as profitable, it is useful, it is beneficial. This is the main adjective that describes the four ways that the Bible is useful. Firstly, the Bible is profitable and useful in teaching. 
Uh, the word for teaching there also means doctrine or instruction. The Bible will do us good in our understanding and teaching of others. In what we know of God, in what we teach to others, the Bible is the access point to God himself. And if the Bible is, is profitable in this way, then it will help us uh, push against investing in other ways to try and know God. We're not going to invest in big, flashy youth programs designed to entertain children. We're, not going, we're going to say no to flashy productions just to get people into the door. But we will say yes to opening the Bible in kids' church, to opening the Bible in teens' group, to opening the Bible in our fellowship groups, and yes, opening the Bible here in the pulpit. Because we believe what Paul is saying that the Bible is the place where we hear God's voice and where we are taught by Him, where we grow our understanding of Him and the purpose of our lives. The second profitable use of God's Word is for reproof or rebuke. It rebukes our wrong ideas and understanding of God. It corrects our understanding. It positively teaches what we should believe and it negatively warns us against error. This is why... The normal diet of the sermons here at SLE Church is, will be expository sermons. Sermons where we work through each verse in each chapter through books of the Bible week by week, systematically, logically, chronologically, to hear what is said and why it has been written. See, as we go through each book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, God's Word is setting the agenda. It is not the preacher telling you what you should or shouldn't do, just the preacher telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And it's, we're not going to be, it's not going to be topical trying to preach to your felt needs, but God's Word is going to be speaking to us week to week, telling us what we need to know and understand. It will correct us. It will challenge us. It will encourage us. It will draw our attention off of ourselves and onto our glorious Saviour, Jesus Christ. But be warned, friends, being rebuked by Scripture will take a certain amount of humility. We need, to be, we need the humility to know that sometimes we're going to be wrong. Sometimes Scripture will have to correct our old understanding. Sometimes it will have to pierce our hearts as it challenges us to live for Him. It is better for the Bible to do this than to be puffed up in arrogance. Paul says elsewhere that if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Basically, don't be so proud that you think you know everything. See, our posture as we come to the Bible, our posture when we open the Bible is to be one of humility and an openness to correction. The third good and profitable use of Scripture is for correction. Where rebuke is about our understanding, correction may be more a bit about our lives. In either major corrections or smaller course corrections, the Bible shapes and reforms our lives. Now, this happens in small ways when we receive those kind of gentle reminders from the Bible. Sometimes a gentle encouragement to love others more, to drop them a message, to pray with them and share with them. At other times, the corrections are more drastic. As an example, think of Paul again to the Corinthian church telling them to kick a man out of their gathering because of unrepentant sexual sin. 
in 1 Corinthians 5, he tells the church directly, get rid of this man from your gatherings. And by 2 Corinthians, that second letter, that, uh, by that letter uh, this man had sufficiently repented enough to be welcomed back in. So somewhere on this spectrum of minor course corrections to drastic change, the Bible is constantly correcting our lives. The Bible, read and understood, has the power to correct and change our lives in small and big ways. Only the Word of God, breathed out by Him, has the power to do that. Finally, the Scriptures not only have the power to correct, but they also have the power to educate and to motivate us to right living. At the end of verse 16, Paul says that Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. Now, righteousness is that big word meaning being in right standing with God. It is to live a life of godliness and obedient trust, saying no to our sinful desires and saying yes to obeying God's commands. And that's hard work. Some of you may know that in recent weeks and months, I've been working out a bit lately. Right, hitting the weights, trying to lose some weight, gain some muscle. Results speak for themselves. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. Now, one of the things about lifting weights is that it's meant to hurt. Right? That pain after the lifting of those weights can last for two to three days afterwards. Now, that pain, what's going on is that as you lift heavier weights, the muscle fibers start to tear a little bit. You get these micro tears. And the pain is your body trying to repair them. But as your body repairs them, it makes the muscle stronger. And then as that pain subsides, you've got to push your body and those muscles again. So you've got to lift heavier weights and you push them harder, create more tears, create more strengthening. So your muscle keeps growing and getting stronger. Being trained in righteousness is the same. As we read the Bible, and as we conform our motivations and our heart's desires and our wants and our actions to look like Jesus, that will sometimes mean being rebuked and corrected. A slow and sometimes painful process. The pain of tearing those righteousness muscles. And the more we work those righteousness muscles in our lives, the more they build and the more we look like Jesus. What steps do you take to grow more like Jesus? To shape your life to be more like Jesus? You read the Bible day by day and you let the Word of God dwell in you richly. See, the Christian never moves on from the Bible. We don't graduate onto the next spiritual plane looking for some new experience or some new teaching. You never move on from reading the Bible. You only move into a deeper and richer and more profound understanding of it. And as you go deeper, as you discover the rich depths of the gospel in the Bible, we find our end goal, completion. So you see there in verse 17. What's happened there? So Paul says in verse 17 that the Bible teaches and rebukes and corrects and trains uh, but the, so, that the, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now the word complete there in verse 17 does not mean perfection. Otherwise no one's going to get there. Right? The word actually means something more like capable or proficient. Right? Able to meet the demands. 
See, as we go deeper into God's Word, it equips us to serve God fully and capably. Whatever God demands of His people, the Bible enables us to to complete. So as you open God's Word, you are being trained to think more like God, to look at His Son, and to become more like Him. Now, normally, looking at something alone doesn't tend to lead to change. I would love to grow taller, right? But it's no use just looking at Christian tan all day, hoping to get taller. For those who don't know Christian, every week he grows another inch. I could gaze up and stare at him all day long, get to know him, try to act like him, but that wouldn't help me grow taller. But God has written his word in such a way that as we continue to read it, to gaze upon his son, to marvel at his plans and purposes, not just for us, but his plans and purposes to expand his glory and his fame, as we continue to do that, we change. We become more like his son. We love him with a sweeter affection. We become more ready to serve him in all the good works he has planned for us. Yesterday was the start of Chinese New Year. I love how Chinese New Year is not one day, but it's like two weeks of celebration and eating. Uh, I found out recently that the phrase gong si fat choi doesn't translate to happy Chinese New Year. I didn't know this. I, I don't know my Chinese, right? Literally, I found out literally that it means I hope you get rich or I hope you become more prosperous. And I get the idea that as the new year begins, you're kind of wishing on people for the coming year to be more prosperous or to make you rich. The Bible has been given to us to make us rich. Rich in the knowledge of God. Rich in love towards God. And with each passing year, as we dig into it, we get richer and richer. Can you see how in these short verses, Paul has spelled out something incredible. The Bible comes from God to us. It is God's intended word for us. It shows us Christ It helps us to know how to be saved. The Bible is the place where we are rebuked and corrected and trained to live a godly life. The the Bible trains us to meet all the demands that God has for us. The Bible is sufficient for salvation and for all our spiritual needs and wants. And if if it is sufficient, then we need to trust it by reading it, by believing it, obeying it, and not going anywhere else for our spiritual needs. So what are we to do with this then? First, we need to be floored by the fact that God speaks. He has not left us in the dark about who he is. We are not the proverbial blind men feeling the elephant, thinking that it's a tree or a a snake or a fan. The elephant has spoken. It has told us what he is. God has spoken. He has revealed himself. And more than that, he hasn't just told us to do things that he wants us to do. He has revealed his mind, his character, his plans and his purposes. And it is all glorious. Praise God. Rejoice. Let your life be filled with gladness and overflowing thankfulness because the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of this world has spoken. Second, 
If the Bible is where God speaks to us, then we need to treat it reverently, with great respect. Not, not again saying that we bow down and worship the printed book, whose cover is beginning to peel and whose pages have been dog-eared and worn out. That's actually a Muslim error, where they believe that every printed copy of the Quran is sacred. No, on a simple level, this is just printed words on a page. But on a bigger level, at the same time, we cannot separate God from His Word. That sounds like a contradiction, but I hope you see how that has worked here. The printed book is not God, but the words, the message contained within cannot be separated from God Himself. And so we should treat the Bible reverently and be careful of dismissing any of it or explaining any of it away. If anyone downplays or rejects any part of this, they are downplaying or rejecting God himself. Number three, if the Bible is where God speaks to us, then we must listen to the Bible by reading it, understanding it, and applying it. We read it for our growth, our correction and reproof, and to be trained in godliness and righteousness. And when we do that, God, the God who speaks to us is working in us as we read his word. And this means that we should not be eager to search outside of the Bible for God's presence or word to us. I Far too often I've heard people say that God speaks to us through the Bible, but he can also speak to us in other means as well. Now, there is an earnest desire behind that and a motivation to not want to box God in, to not want to put any limits on God. But when Paul says that Scripture is God-breathed and useful in all these ways, he is saying that it is sufficient for our needs and our wants. What God has said is sufficient for what we need. So we have to submit any word or inference or experience to the clear words of Scripture. We test any word given to us outside of the Bible against the words inside the Bible. What the Bible says on the inside then has the final say. I think yearning for some experience or some vision or a voice more than what God has already spoken here is, I think, a subtle form of sin. It is a subtle form of unbelief. It is a, to essentially say to Paul, no, Scripture is not sufficient for me. I need something else. So often in my pastoral experience, when someone says that God has spoken to them or has given them a particular calling outside of the Bible, it has so often sounded like their own voice and ended up in agreement with their own desires. And so often a calling fits into a middle-class aspirational desire. Everyone gets called to be a doctor or a lawyer. No one ever gets called to be a garbage man and begin a ministry to garbage collectors. We need to make sure that whatever we apparently hear from God is in harmony with what the Bible actually says. Finally, if the Bible is the place where God speaks to us, then how are you going at listening to His voice? How's your Bible reading going in 2020? Not just in quantity, but also in quality. As you go home today, don't neglect your Bible. Open it. Cherish that God is speaking to you for your good.
If you're new or a young Christian, cherish that the God of this universe is speaking to you. For some of you here, you may have been a Christian longer than I've been alive. Keep cherishing your Bible. As Don Carson so wonderfully puts it, the goal, the aim of Bible reading is never to become a master of the Word, but to be mastered by it. If you're one of the uni students here who has enjoyed in-depth exegetical Bible studies, remember that the goal of exegesis and getting into the details and the depths and the riches of a passage each week is not just knowledge alone, but to let Jesus master you through that. To let him speak to you, to reprove you, to correct you, to encourage you, to woo your heart and train you to be more like Jesus. You know, it's okay for your Bible to look a bit tattered and worn, hopefully from regular use rather than because you've bashed around so much. For a Bible that is well-worn and a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone whose faith is not let us all cherish the Bible as one of the firm foundations of our lives. Let us listen to God regularly. Let us rejoice and yearn to hear His voice through His Word. And let us pray. Father, thank You that You speak. Thank You that You have not left us in the dark about who You are. Thank You that Your Word shines a light onto our path and points the way to our beautiful and glorious Saviour. We pray that through your word you will do your work in and through us. We pray this for our good, for our joy, and your glory and delight. In Jesus' name, Amen.